You've trained as a coach and you've spent your career standing with people for their growth. But how does that look at home? Maybe the most important thing to cultivate at home is a sense of radical self-acceptance. So when you hit a rough patch, perhaps what you need is another episode of Dance Moms. This is one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Home Life for Extraordinary Impact. On this show, you'll get to witness some raw, in-the-moment research that I'm doing all around the world with everyday people and experts. Um, and it's been so much fun to talk to people who are global about this topic, home life. Specifically the question, how do you design your home life for growth, connection, and making your greatest impact? That's what I'm exploring through all of these interviews. And, uh, you know, if you are interested in what I'm figuring out along the way, you can to, you know, check out the Home Life Design Lab newsletter. Uh, we'll talk more about how you can check that out at the end of the episode. Uh, but first of all, I'm Matt Barrios. I'm a researcher and a writer. I'm a dad and a husband. I uh, live in here in San Francisco in my apartment where I'm talking to somebody very special to me, uh, my dear friend, Jessica Lacey. And, uh, you know, when you get started with the podcast, you just kind of have to tap into your friends to help you get it off the ground a little bit. And, uh, and so Jessica was gracious enough to uh, be willing to be down as an interview. And one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you, Jessica, is because I feel like you have a particular, um, you know, bent towards growth and development, like, um, and, and in a way that I think is different from the way that I'm, you know, you might hear it in a very hustle culture up into the right uh, self-improvement um, sort of way. And you are actually a coach, a life coach, and, um, you know, committed to standing with people for their growth. Um, so I thought you would be a fun person to talk to uh, about that intersection between home and growth. So, um, yeah, Jessica, for people who have never met you or never heard, heard your voice before, uh, would you mind just introducing yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, Matt, it's awesome to be with you. And Matt and I have gotten to collaborate in a variety of spaces. So it's fun to collaborate in this space. And I am a life coach. I'm a spiritual director. I do website design, which is another way that I help people express and find home digitally. And I'm a homemaker, which is proving to be surprisingly satisfying in a way as I frame it differently than how I feel like culture has traditionally framed that word. Hmm. Tell me more about um, being a homemaker. I mean, it feels like very on on the nose for you know the topic that I'm exploring and uh, creating home, designing home, making home. Um, what what do you what have you found by like uh, identifying yourself as a homemaker? Yeah, I I think there was a time where that phrase meant like pretty rigid gender roles, and you know meant keeping a house clean and cooking, and and actually. To me, it's just way more expansive than that. And I remember I was dating this guy who really wanted someone to stay at home and we were discussing that. And he said to me, there are so many opportunities for vocational expression in the home. And he was like, there's psychology, there's gardening, there's culinary arts, there's interior design. And that really resonated with me. And so when I think of myself in the home, it is a place, as or as a homemaker, it is a place for me to explore different expressions of myself that contribute to the wholeness of my family and the people that enter it. 
and I have my particular expressions. I really like interior design. I'm not a great cook, um, but there are combinations of things that I do to create peace in my home that, that have been really satisfying. That is so cool. I think you used the phrase something like contributing to the wholeness of, you know, the people who live in your home, the people who come and visit. I think that is such a cool way to think about making home is you're actually trying to create a wholeness experience for people. Mm. Um, and gosh, I, I mean, let's, let's dig more into that as we keep going. Cause I think that might be one of the themes that we'll return to, but I do want to ask some other questions before we dive deeper into things. But, um, that first, you know, question that I like to ask almost every guest after they introduce themselves is, uh, what are the different places that you've called home throughout your life? Yeah. Yeah. The one that probably is the most um, poignant is where I grew up in Colorado. And I grew up in this kind of at the base of foothills. And I had aspen trees out front and deer in my backyard. And it was almost like this whole valley was our playground. And we would ride our bikes everywhere. And there were hiking trails within walking distance. And it was just a really beautiful, safe, place where I think I developed like a inner groundedness and a love of nature. And that's a place that remains dear to me. And then when I was 18, I moved out to Southern California and kind of hated it at first because it was like fast paced and kind of image driven and lacked seasons. But over time, I have learned to find home here and love the culture and the food and the access to different ideas and art and and even some of the fast pacedness of it has been fun too and um and then i think most recently being married in the last five years like primarily i find home with my husband and he and i have talked about adventuring out in various ways and i feel like i can do that because when i'm with him there's a sense of home that's more based in a person than a place even Mm -hmm. I think it's very true. Sometimes home isn't about the place. It's actually about the relationships that are um, created there uh, or fostered and cultivated or protected mm -hmm. in your home. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. Like that old, um, not old, it's not an old song, like an oldie, but like the idea of home is wherever I'm with you. Right. And uh, yeah. And it sounds like you have that with your husband. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we are discussing home, I love to hear like a little bit of like a mini walkthrough of, um, you know, let's say you're getting home from uh, hanging out with people or whatever, uh, you're getting home, give us like a quick little play-by-play -play flyover of what it's like when you come home. What do you see? Sights, scents, smells, uh, scents and smells are the same thing. Sights, scents, sounds. Uh, yeah. W what do you come home to? Yeah, well, we, we live in a beach community, and so we're kind of packed in with other houses. So we might see our neighbors <laughs> pretty close by. And then you open the gate that goes onto our patio, and it squeaks, which is a good way of us knowing that someone is home. Um, you would walk to my front door, and my dog, Finley, who's a white boxer, would run up to me and greet me. Um, sometimes that's cool. Sometimes I'm carrying stuff, and I'm like, give me some space. Um, and then when you walk in, there's a big sectional couch and we purposely put it there because it's kind of like, hey, come sit on me, come be with us and relax. And above it, there's a picture of aspen trees, which I hunted for because I wanted something that brought in the Colorado home. Um, then to the left, you'd see a big dining room table where 
we, we want to have more people around than we currently do. A lot has changed in the pandemic, but there's a big table ready to be full and an open concept kitchen beyond that where we've really enjoyed having friends over and being able to interact with them or even my stepkids over and cooking dinner and, and they're able to pull a chair up at the bar and just sit there and interact with us while we prepare a meal. So that's a little, it's a little snapshot. I love it. And I love that there's a mindfulness of uh, everything from the sounds of the squeaking gate to your dog to the little bar where your stepkids can pull up and watch you prepare dinner. I mean, it just sounds like a place really made for life in a very intentional way down to the choice of couch and choice of table. Um, so, you know, I'm also, as you're describing this, I'm kind of not surprised because I know you as my friend to just be a very intentional person who puts a lot of thoughts into uh, into things, you know? So I think that maybe comes with the territory with being a life coach. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about some of the connection between you being a life coach who's invested in, uh, you know, people's growth and also uh, home, right? So what connections do you see between that sort of work and your home? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. One of the phrases that I've used on and off in my years as a life coach is journeying home to yourself. And so, so much of coaching and some of the other work I do is about learning how to be at home and who you authentically are and receiving yourself. And so I think that as we live that in a more embodied way, it actually translates into all of the spaces we exist in, like where we work, where we play, where we live. And so home life and, and what we create there, whether it's like the actual space and, and decor, whether it's the furniture, whether it's like the ways of being and rhythms we create that actually facilitate connection and joy, all of that is about living in an authenticity that allows it to be like seen outside in your life. And in this case, it's just in a very concrete way that might be unique from like having your soul transformed or having more confidence that's harder maybe to measure. I love that. And gosh, you and I are just so on the same wavelength when it comes to that uh, internal world, home, external environment connection, right? The fact that in some, in so many ways, um, they reflect one another, right? And uh, down to even rhythms of life that we keep in our homes, uh, how we wake up, how we go to sleep, um, what we do for meals and, and so on, how we host people week by week. And uh, yeah, and so th there's definitely um, some of that. So from that lens, as you're observing, you know, your life and some of maybe the, uh, the way you've arranged your space, the rhythms of life that you keep in your home, what do you do that helps, uh, you know, nourish your well-being, nourish your growth. Uh, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I, I think the major, major thing for me is building a life that has margin. And if I can live like connected to myself and in a pace that is sustainable, then I can be like a lot more available to my friends, to my family. I have like an emotional availability where, you know, I can ask my husband, hey, how was your day? And then I can sit and listen for 20 minutes, which not everybody has ordered their life to do. Um, and I can do practical things like cleaning or cooking, which aren't my favorite, but that, that instill a sense of peace and goodness. So I think like 
really the more I attend to my own home internally, <laughs> um, it actually helps me like create more of a sense of home, both emotionally and physically in my space. That's awesome. You, you mentioned margin as a way to, um, you know, take care of that internal sense of home. How did you discover uh, margin was important for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it came from burning out. And I had a job where it, it was kind of like there was an endless list of good things to do. And I, I didn't really have boundaries. And honestly, probably the self-worth to know that my value was not based on what I was doing and producing. And so I just kept pushing and pushing and I got to the point where I flatlined and I just could not do anything else. And as a result, I committed to a year of rest and like reduced my cost of living and took a job, you know, that I wouldn't usually have so that I could, um, you know, live the way that I was living. I moved in with this woman who was like 50, who I wasn't connected to. I was driving an old car but I felt like really that was what I was supposed to do. And I think that was really pivotal. And it's an ongoing journey because there is kind of this pervasive message, I think, around and inside me that somehow my value is directly connected to what I produce or how much I earn. And I have to like ruthlessly align to myself in light of those voices over and over <laughs> to, to create that margin. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I mean, uh, I, I think it's so, so common, perhaps because it's so easy just to see like your bank account is the scorecard for your life, right? And, uh, you know, how much you're making for your salary or hourly or whatever it might be. And, um, and like, I think, in contrast to that, taking a year to slow down, find margin, rest, recuperate um, from burnout, uh, like a burnout of over hustling, basically, uh, that sounds very challenging to, um, all of these cultural narratives that we find ourselves in right, uh, around your worth is uh, what you can produce. Your worth is how much money you can make. Um, what, what kind of, uh, uh, you know, discoveries did you make about yourself over that year of choosing to, um, simplify, downsize, find margin? What did you find out about yourself? Yeah. I you know, maybe even more than finding out, it, it felt like practice, like practicing how to say no, practicing how to trust that there would be enough, even if I had limits, um, practicing how to not over effort. Um, so I think th those were things that started like um, getting into my body more, so, like so that I could habituate them. Um, I think also like I felt insecure a lot that year, a lot. Like I was like, what am I doing with my life? And I would call my best friend probably like every other day crying, honestly, because I just it was I had wow. this idea of like where I should be and I wasn't there. And I think that's a pretty common um, challenge that a lot of people bump up against. But I think I think more. Yeah, it, it just sort of like started habituating this way of being in me. Yeah, that makes sense. And it is um, swimming upstream to choose to slow down, to find margin. Um, and gosh, it, uh, gosh I, I'm glad that you had the sort of courage required to face that sort of, um, 
I don't know, face those sort of internal anxieties and insecurities um, because I know that's part of what you now stand for with other people is that, you know, there is margin, there is, there will be opportunity provided. You're not missing out. You're, you know, like you don't have to do every single thing. Right. And I just think that's actually like such a countercultural message uh, at this moment. Um, now, it also kind of in that margin, it seems like it cre- it births a perspective on life, uh, you know, like a, a set of values, perhaps. How have you taken that year of slowing down and then therefore like put uh, giving you some values that you're taking into your home that you are putting together with your husband day by day? Yeah. I, I think one of the values that I really want to lean into and try to lean into is like a value of abundance and I, kind of the counter to that is scarcity, like that there will be enough. Um, and as I mentioned, we're like, if I live in, in my values, if I have limits, if I feel depressed for a day and watch multiple episodes of reality TV, like, I will be okay and there will be enough is that's a real thing that has happened in this last year for me and across the pandemic. Um, so that's one, I think really prioritizing self attunement is a, is a really high value for me as well. Um, and then also like shifting from thinking of impact in quantity and thinking of it more in, in terms of potency, and like, how do I become the most potent person I can be so that in any space I'm in, something meaningful and transformational happens. And I, I don't have to think as much about like hitting as many people in places as I can. Wow. I, I think the idea of potency is a really interesting, you know, shift in perspective about what like fully showing up um, in life looks like versus quantity, but potency. Could you just say more about like potency in life and what it looks like for you? Yeah, I, Matt, you and I have a mutual friend who's in their late seventies and she lives near to me and she doesn't drive. And there were some days when I was really trying to build a business where I could have been DMing people and creating brand strategy and you know, there's kind of an endless list of things you can do when you're building something as you're probably experiencing in the moment yourself yes. and live and in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was this day where she and I decided to connect and I picked her up and I brought her out to my patio and we were just sitting in the sun journaling and chatting and napping on and off. And I had this thought, there's nothing more important than what you could be doing right now. And that's kind of a movement of like being fully with someone in a way that, that is caring and generous and embodied versus all of these little hits <laughs> across this network where there's a lack of connection. And I'm not, I don't wanna diminish that, like that has its role and purpose. But that feels like a, a really example where I really experience that potency and it that feels like the most important good that I can be doing, even though it's not 
it's not sexy or like something that would get written up or that anyone would really probably praise in any kind of like, you know, external way. <laughs> yeah, I would say, uh, you know, it's not going to be a headline like, you know, area woman and older area woman, you know, take naps on the patio for an afternoon, right? <laughs> like, uh, like that's it. I agree that it's just agreeing with your point, like as much as that is such an actually really beautiful picture of life and relationship and trust with one another and intimacy even, um, it's not headline news, right? And um, no glitz and glamour to it necessarily. So I, I think that is such a good example of the way that a more margin, margin cultivated life, potent life, as you put it, would find expression. And um, yeah, I just think that's so cool. Is that a little bit about of like an example, maybe across the board for you of what when home's going really, really well, what it looks like? Or how would you describe your home when it's going really, really well? Yeah, I think when home is going well, there is a rich sense of connection with with my husband, with my stepkids, and hopefully with friends. We're, we're wanting more friends to be in our home. Um, and there's, I would say there is a level of cleanliness <laughs> like that when home's not going well, can, um, you know, it gets degraded, but, um, but yeah, I think those would be the markers. Yeah. There's a richness of connection that is a product of us living mm -hmm. a life that's spacious enough for ourselves and one another. Hmm. That's cool. I, I hear what you're saying about the cleanliness before we hit record. I showed you like how horribly messy my apartment is. And I'm just like, this is not so good. And, you know, we had a good laugh about all the recycling I have to take out. Um, but <laughs> I, I agree with like, you know, these are the little pieces that add up that can make things uh, just just feel not good. You know, it feels feels like, like there's less of a home, less belonging. Um, and, you know, it's it is funny, but things like cleanliness affect that. What are other things mm -hmm. that contribute to a sense of home going south or going sideways for you? Yeah, I, the other two biggest ones I would say is if I'm really stressed out or insecure or like not stable internally for whatever reason, then then that diminishes not only my ability to interact and create home for others, but also just my energy level and desire to do anything like home related. Um, and I would say similarly for my husband, when he's in a stressed out space, it's really hard. Like home life kind of goes awry as well, or if he's feeling inadequate, um, back to those kind of narratives of like finding yourself in value independent when those things are aligned, we're good when they're not, <laughs> it gets wacky. Yeah, seriously, stress and feelings of inadequacy. Like that makes a lot of sense that those would yeah, really affect a person, you know, and affect their experience of home. Um, what are the, like, you know, the stress factors that tend to creep in and affect your home life the most? Yeah, I, I think most, it's hard for me to talk about that outside of the context of the last year, which has been unusually stressful. My mom, about a year and a half ago, got a cancer diagnosis and um, it was just not knowing day to day what was going to happen. And then she ended up passing and my energy, I mean, I was pretty debilitated on and off for about a year. 
simultaneously, my husband, who's a middle school teacher, was going back to school. And anyone who's talked to teachers, it's a really challenging time. The kids are behind, their behavior is really off. So right at that, those things were happening at the same time. And we were triggering each other. And we, you know, we'd be like, who's going to cook? And we'd just be, you know, eating another frozen meal, stuff that doesn't feel life-giving or nourishing. So that, that's been the time where I felt the most disordered and, and it was the stressors of things that were largely out of our control, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those things, man, I, I, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry that they, you had to go through that season. That is hard to have that much stuff all stacking up and then for it to affect both you and your husband and then eventually how you interact with each other. That is hard. And I, I think a, a lot of people, including me can relate to how tough that can be. Um, with uh, you, you talking about um, uh, like the effects that you know, like the work or other family outside of your home, that family dynamic can have on your life. What are the what were the things that did help you in that time move through that uh, versus the things that you know made made things worse? What what helped you? Are are you saying like when home is disordered and hard? what is what makes it better or how do i navigate it yeah yeah especially thinking about those exact that like last year of your life right like when when you, it was really really tough um what were those moments that were like okay but we but we took out the trash or i, I don't know whatever that is like what were those things that gave you a little bit of reprieve from that you know i feel like this isn't a popular answer because people would want like the solution and it should be this external thing. But I feel like radical self-acceptance, <laughs> like just being okay with like eating crap food or like, no, yeah, my pants are getting bigger and I'm going to the thrift store and buying like a size bigger or wow, I'm on my fifth episode of dance moms. Um, and like, I'm, a, I'm still lovable. <laughs> This is the most relatable thing I think anybody can have. Fifth episode of Dance Moms is like pinnacle example of, okay, yeah, life gets hard sometimes. And how do we cope with it? Well, we just figure it out. We just got to cope with it somehow. And Dance Moms is the the right thing for the moment, right? Gosh, well, I, I just really appreciate you saying that. Uh, for me, it's not Dance Moms. It's um, currently... Uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix, F1 show, or, uh, you know, because we got a one-year-old and it is tough. It is very, very tough. So, yeah, um, yeah. but all that to say, we find ways to cope with the stressors, the tough moments of our life. And I love that perspective of radical self-acceptance with that, because mm -hmm. it can feel sometimes like there's a certain message of you got to do it right and nobody knows exactly what this do it right thing is, but, um, but it does, nobody's saying like the right answer is, um, like eat more frozen food. Right. And, <laughs> and like, that's the right answer. Right. Um, but it is an answer that helped you endure for a time. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's really actually a, a really 
interesting insight coming from this conversation. Uh, radical self-acceptance, could you just say a little bit more about that, what it means to you, and maybe even how you help people discover that as a coach? Yeah, I, I want to give a little more context for that because like, I actually was trying to hack my low energy over and over and it wasn't working. So like, I love how you're like, we don't know what to do, but there are a lot of suggestions like just get outside and exercise or have more contact with people. But I kept doing those things. And because of the weight of what I was walking through, it, nothing would shift. And so at some point, like I was almost forced into self-acceptance because I tried a lot of things first that didn't work. Um, but I think ironically what happens is a lot of our energy gets expelled through the anxiety that we feel around thinking we should be somewhere different than we are. And when we can actually relax into the reality of what is and acknowledge like, this doesn't have to be forever, but this is what is here now, then it actually starts freeing up some space where creativity and energy and innovation can emerge, where like you can do the next little thing, like, hey, I took out the trash today and that that feels good. Um, but, but unfortunately, when we're not hitting these marks that we've made for ourselves, it actually like diminishes energy and agency. That's an interesting thought. The idea that we can, um, in some ways, like submit ourselves to a set of marks or shoulds, or this is how it's supposed to be, or I should be beyond this already in a way that actually is like this weird mental, uh, slave driver for ourselves where, you know, it, it doesn't help us at all. In fact, it actively, um, sabotages the ability to, to move through this. So. I just think that's like a really fascinating point that like, I don't know if anybody's talking about that that much. So I really appreciate that you are bringing that up and the importance of acceptance as a, mm. as a way to move, you know, to accept, to move through it or, you know, or don't move through it or let it take its course or, you know, uh, all of that. Uh, because I think this is somewhat of a, you know, it, this isn't the um, greatest hits, um, you know, track on the life coaching album, right? Self just acceptance and like, it is what it is and it sucks and I'm um, just accept it. Right. Um, what would you recommend for a person who is like, okay, how would I even get started with accepting? Like what, what would that look like? Um, what would you recommend? Yeah, I think it begins with being able to articulate your values and um and and even if you're like well i don't know what my values are if you look at what you're discontent about in your life that will often point to what you're longing for and what your values are so if you're feeling really lonely it could mean that you do have a value for friendship or you know if you're feeling overwhelmed perhaps you have a value for peace ease equilibrium so you know, I guess I would say just like if I was going to like 101 map this out, I would say like notice where you're discontent. Um, what values does that point to for you? And then what can you do like both in your mindset and in your actions to begin aligning to those values? And I will say it's going to take courage. Like there's just no way around that. Um, 
because whatever situation you're in that is unpleasing, like there are probably payoffs that you get from being in that situation and there's some type of benefits. Um, but if you start leaning into those values and kind of risking to be aligned, I think slowly the rest of your life will follow and it can lead you into a, a really beautiful life. That's way cool. I, I think that triangulation of your discontents with your values, I mean, that's like, uh, that's a uh, very understandable, approachable and kind of next level awareness um, that a person can explore with that idea of what am I discontent, discontent with and what does that tell me that I actually value? A really mm -hmm. quick question. Um, so uh, now let's just say that, um, you know, you, uh, a person is experiencing a lot of loneliness in their home, um, you know, and mm -hmm. I feel like this is uh, part of what me and Lindsay in this podcast are kind of at war with in some ways is just the loneliness epidemic and uh, the fact that uh, a lot of people from their homes feel very disconnected from other people, right? And mm -hmm. uh, can be a lonely place, right? So uh, let's just say that a person is, you know, experiencing a lot of loneliness. Would you walk me through step by step what you just described, that discontentment and the values and uh, aligning, uh, let's just say, with a person who's experiencing loneliness? How would that go? Yeah, I mean, in, in one sense, it, it's hard to define because I would want to know the context with which they were experiencing that, you know, like is, do they have a spouse who works all the time? And, and so they're always passing each other, you know, and then there's never any set time or, you know, do do they live in an area that's kind of further out? Like, so I'm, I guess my first step in that would be to get as much details as I could about their situation and then help them see where they may be unintentionally contributing to the dynamic that they're experiencing. And because it's really easy to just look at life or another person and kind of be, feel like you're a victim to it. And so part of the journey is like helping people see where they actually have power that they weren't aware that they had. And that is a very creative, dynamic, personal process, but that is part of like how coaching goes. And then that could be any number of things. Like maybe they get a roommate, maybe they join a meetup, maybe their husband and them start setting a time, like a connection time. Maybe they make a no technology agreement. Like it, they, it's actually like endlessly creative. Once you figure out what is the problem, then the solutions like, you know, will flow out of that. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and especially the importance of uh, kind of feeling out the terrain around it in order to like actually understand what's going on and what's below the surface for it all. Um, such interesting advice or suggestions in that. So uh, this is going to be a hard left turn. Are you ready for it? So um, what, what I want to ask you about next is, uh, you know, part of our homes are also our possessions, the stuff we keep in it, right? Everything yeah. from uh, our, our clothes and art and um, pots and pans and pillows and everything, right? Like, um, do you have any like prized possessions, things that you have that you really love? Um, and what are they? Hmm. 
actually, I don't know if you can see, there's this art piece. Um, I don't know if I can't tell what you can perceive, but it's right there behind that plant. And um, it's a mandala and it's called Abundance. And I, there's actually this very talented artist who I did my life coach training with. And I really wanted it and I couldn't afford it. And so I asked her if she needed coaching and she said, yeah, and I traded her coaching for it. And it's it's just a really beautiful piece of art and in a um, physical representation of my core value. And I wake up every morning and I see it right there. Um, and I, this is, this is kind of personal, but speaking of <laughs> the interior work, I have a little stuffed animal that when I feel like my young self is flipping out, I will hold the stuffed animal and kind of use that as a f representation of my inner child and just kind of be like, hey, what's going on? And something about having that physical um, object that's approximately the size of a kid is really helpful in me accessing these kind of younger, more tender parts of my heart. So those are two that emerge as, um, as you ask that question. Yeah, I love that. Gosh, that's that's very interesting. Um, this painting that's very representative of values, you know, that that you operate according to, that you aspire to, you know, living in abundance, and also this uh, stuffed animal that's like this tender historical part of um, yourself and uh, kind of you as maybe uh, little Jessica, right, uh, mm -hmm. caring for yourself, right. I think that's a really interesting idea of the way that objects actually have symbolism to them that, uh, you know, they represent something to us, especially the, the objects that we prize as we keep in our homes. And, uh, in both cases, you know, I think it's very clear examples of the ways that you have certain objects that serve, you know, serve you who you're becoming, um, you know, your care. That's really cool. Um, so uh, another hard left turn. Eventually, we'll make a circle, probably with enough <laughs> left turns. So, uh, well, uh, so we just talked about possessions. Now I want to talk about like rhythm. So, like your home in time, like the things that you do repeatedly, perhaps day by day, week by week, season by season. What are some of the rhythms of life that you find important to keep in your home? Yeah, um, daily, I. I usually wake up around 7.30, naturally. I let my dog out, I feed her, and then I usually take like 30 to 60 minutes of just stillness and prayer and reading that really grounds my day. Um, then usually I get into my work, whether it's clients or writing or whatever it is I'm up to. Um, my husband and I, we go to bed together every night and that's been a really sweet rhythm and we get to kind of cuddle and giggle and kiss a little and that's really fun. And, um, and some other rhythms. Oh yeah. Like every Saturday morning we have, my husband and I have a date night, but we do it in the morning. So, um, you know, we'll sleep in, we'll get coffee. That's been a really beautiful rhythm of connection. And then I also try to kind of build my life around, um, like because he's a teacher, there's certain weeks he'll have off or months he'll have off. So I try to take a whole month off in July if I can, cause he's off. So it's, it's kind of cool because I might just work otherwise, but there, but his schedule kind of creates an invitation for me to 
um, to take off. So those are some of the rhythms. And we try to connect with our kids weekly. They're they're adult now and they don't live with us. But we've we've done like Thursday dinner nights and we watched all the Marvel movies. <laughs> and like that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. I love the picture that is of um, how much rhythms of life can be um, collaborative. You know, it sounds mm-hmm. like with you and your husband, there's a lot of how much you are doing that together. Um, these July's off or these Saturday dates, right? Like, and whether it's with a spouse or with roommates or whatever, um, I think there's an opportunity for a lot of people. And how do I collaborate with the sort of rhythms of life that we are keeping in home. I think it's a really cool idea. Um, well, Jessica, as we are wrapping up, this has already been <laughs> in a great conversation and we're almost at time. Um, thank you for being as always an awesome conversation partner with extremely interesting things to say, you know, so uh, I would have expected nothing less from you. Um, I wanted to, um, just give you an opportunity. What is it that you're working on right now? And if people are interested in connecting with you, you know, perhaps to be, be their coach or something, where could they get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, my website is jessicalacycoaching.com, and there's no E in my last name. It's L-A-C-Y. And I offer life coaching, spiritual direction. I do website design on Wix. And um, I'm also finishing a master's thesis on embodiment, which is a passion of mine. And how do we live fully alive in our bodies? And how does that help form us? So if any of those things feel inviting to you, you can go to my website, and there's a place where you can submit your you know, your email and a message to me and we can pick up from there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, um, in case you missed that, that, uh, link or whatever, I will also post a uh, link to that in the write-up that I'm doing on this episode, which will be in the show notes. Uh, it'll be on the home life design lab newsletter. And, uh, I hope that you check it out. Um, you can subscribe to home life design lab, at homelifedesignlab.com. It is where I am doing write-ups on interviews like the one that I just had with Jessica. And I am, you know, invested in researching this from a global perspective. I've talked to people all around the world about this, and I'm trying to understand what, what like people are doing with home in order for it to be a really great, nourishing, creative, inspiring place for them. If you want to re- uh, get that in a written form, you can look at homelifedesignlab.com. Additionally, uh, this is a lot of work and I would invite you to be a premium subscriber to that newsletter and also to this podcast. There's links in the show notes to do that. Um, the reason why I would love for you to do that, not only will you get some extra perks that you can read about by following those links, but it supports this work on a mission that I think is valuable, uh, to help, you know, really transform people's home lives in order to see the way that a transform home life with one person with one person actually transforms society as we Mm. uh, keep moving and going. So um, if you are interested in that, please check out all the links in the show notes, Um, follow at home life design lab on uh, Instagram and TikTok, and uh, you know, basically everywhere let's connect. If you have any thoughts on this, (laughs) I'm always available. Shoot me a message. Um, Thank you again, Jessica, for being an awesome guest. And uh, until next time, everybody, thank you for listening.